Welcome to EMDR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Roundson. And I'm Dr. Michelle Gottlieb. And we're very glad you're joining us again today. Um, a question that often gets asked uh, about EMDR therapy is the EMDR therapy is only for PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. And I will say when EMDR therapy first started, which is over 30 years ago, by the way, um, that was what we thought, that EMDR therapy was only for PTSD or only for trauma. But that answer has now expanded quite a bit. Kurt, you want to talk about that? Yeah. You know, part of it goes back, Michelle, like you said, 30 years ago. Um, people recall that in 1989, when Francine did her first publication on eye movement desensitization, that, that was the first year that any research studies were published on post-traumatic stress. So almost a decade went by since it was a diagnosis in the DSM-3 in 1980 until 1989. So almost a decade passed before any research was done on post-traumatic stress. And sure enough, eye movement desensitization was focused on post-traumatic stress disorders. Now, 30 years later, with things like um, the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experience Studies, that determined that the number one determinant of disease and death in adults was adverse childhood experience, a longitudinal study of well over 17,000 patients. So what's changed isn't just so much of what EMDR is used for, it's partly because the definition of what causes symptomatology has begun to point to the fact that trauma is everywhere. Right. Even though it may not be labeled post-traumatic stress. So, if you begin to think about trauma being the one of the causes of symptoms in our patients, and I'll just say symptoms as that is, whether it's depression or anxiety, our patients come in and that is the symptoms that they're expressing their trauma through. So, yes, it can be done for much more than just those labeled PTSD today, Michelle. And I'll give you an example. I just actually finished a consultation, someone um, who we were talking about depression. Um, and she has a client who's got depression. And she's like, how do I focus on this? What do I do? Um, and you know, I was saying, well, there's, you know, kind of there's two types of depression, if you will, one that is caused by brain chemistry issues and one that is caused by trauma, that the depression is the symptom of the trauma. And whether that is capital T traumas like rape or war or small t traumas, complex PTSD, the ongoing everyday trauma of mom being drunk or whatever that is. And then if we if we begin to do that paradigm shift of seeing the diagnosis, that DSM diagnosis, as merely the symptoms of how it's expressed of the trauma, then it begins to change things. Then we get to focus back on the trauma. But in our nomenclature that we use, you know, that DSM diagnosis, which we use to help communicate with other professionals see depression or anxiety or addiction or whatever as a symptom of the trauma, it begins to change things. You know, and I've given a lot of thought about that. I'm glad you mentioned that, Michelle, because as you and I have 
taught about the neurobiology of trauma now for a few years. You know, we're talking about a, 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 a nervous system, autonomic nervous system that gets overstimulated because of the hyperarousal and the things that happen in the human brain in order to an attempt to protect it from what is perceived threat or danger. You know, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses. And when you think about we're dealing with a hyperarousal in the nervous system and the biochemistry of adrenaline, cortisol going off. And if some child is in that hyperactive state 24-7, that body, that little brain that they're experiencing in is going to experience those biochemistry changes. You know, hyperarousal. Well, what's anxiety? Hyperarousal. What's depression? It's when the, you know, like the adrenals blow out and all of a sudden I, I don't get response to anything anymore. So it all goes back to trauma. And depression, as you know, there's usually some form of traumatic loss that they're dealing with. Um, and we, I do want to let everyone know, by the way, that um, there is a lot of research now. There, was, there didn't used to be, but there is now a lot of research that shows that EMDR therapy is an effective treatment for depression, for anxiety, uh, for just about every population or diagnosis. We now have research that shows, yeah, we actually do seriously help people with all these different diagnoses. Yeah, and there have been some comparative studies, and EMDR uh, either is equally as effective or superior in outcomes. Usually, the outcomes tend to be shorter less uh, therapy necessary. So those kinds of studies have also been done and uh, give really good uh, marks to EMDR for many, many diagnoses, yes. So another question that people ask is, all right, so it's good for a lot of diagnoses, but um, it's not good for psychosis, right? Well, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> Uh, you might be surprised to know, unless there's some kind of uh, um, organic base, like a, a psychotic drug reaction or something like that. And there are some genetic studies suggesting that some psychoses are uh, uh, genetically passed on. But a lot of times, if you really study uh, psychotic symptoms, that often the symptoms themselves are... Number one, they're traumatic in nature. And so that's one area that we can utilize is dealing with the symptoms themselves that are traumatic. And also look that oftentimes psychotic individuals have had traumatic experiences and their response is that over arouse the nervous system again. And one of our colleagues in Belfast, Ireland, Dr. Paul Miller, uh, who works in a hospital in Belfast, a psychiatrist, actually has written a wonderful book called EMDR with schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. So yes, we can use it. Uh, we obviously can't utilize it when they're in an active psychotic state, you know, activation state, but, uh, and medication is usually required, but it can be done. Actually, Kurt, let me, uh, uh, a story that I heard uh, or read that uh, Paul had said was he, in the hospital, there was a guy who would always be running down the hallways screaming about the fire because he had actually been in a fire. But he was in a psychotic break screaming down the hallways and the the training, the treatment team would go down the hallways with him tapping on his shoulders. 
<laughs> and it, it again reduced the symptoms. Yeah. And then they could do you know more intensive work. But that was the beginning of the work that they did with him. So even well, in the middle of a psychotic break, they were still oh, able to do. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. Well, they, and they also had the, uh, the the residents kind of twenty four seven care. They could do it too. That's right? great. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, Michelle, you just triggered something for hmm. me, and that was um, how think about early on post traumatic stress disorders when our patients would have active visual flashbacks. Hmm. And in those days, if they went to a hospital ER room with flashbacks. Uh, it was an automatic acute psychotic episode because uh, they were seeing things and hearing things, audi- obviously visual hallucination, auditory hallucination, with which fit the criteria for schizophrenia. And now as time goes by, when I begin hearing things about psychotic-like symptoms, uh, I begin to ask myself the question, could this be a visual flashback, an auditory flashback, an emotional flashback. That's flashbacks that deal with the, the emotions at the time. They feel like it's happening now. Or sensory motor flashbacks, the feelings in the body that they experienced. They're experiencing it because they are reliving that traumatic event. But on the outside, to people that may not be trauma-informed, that may not even be a question they ask themselves. They will treat it strictly as a psychotic episode. And, you know, following up with that, I say that, oh, yeah, I've cured bipolar because the bipolar, the symptoms of what the clients present as may often be really complex PTSD. And that when we go through the EMDR therapy treatment, they no longer qualify for bipolar because they're not lying in bed all day. They're not having the the manic episodes because that wasn't actually what was wrong. That was the symptoms of the trauma. Yes, yes. You know, uh, many years ago, one of the early psychiatrists uh, in Europe that supported Francine, Dr. David Shervin Schreiber. Oh, what uh, a great name. Yeah. yeah. Well, his his father was a great journalist in France, so they were a huh. well-known family. And David is one of the very first that uh, really got EMDR, got excited about EMDR, spread EMDR throughout Europe. Uh, he also taught in Canada and in University of Pittsburgh. And so he really spread the word of EMDR. And he got into an interesting squabble years ago when he wrote an article uh, about EMDR. And he said, the cure for neurosis without medication or talk therapy. And the fact that he used the word cure Hmm. was very uh, upsetting to many people. But David, being a psychiatrist, believed that EMDR, just like we're talking about it, uh, could help in, in many, many disorders. And he's one that helped develop the uh, PET scans for schizophrenic patients, by the way. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and again, I want to go back to, uh, Kurt and I both touched on this. Um, if there is an organic reason for the symptoms, for example, if someone has a brain tumor and that's causing the symptoms, EMDR therapy is not going to treat the brain tumor, right? That's not what we do. Um, But be really careful about those assumptions and whether that's, like I said before, about depression or some of the psychotic symptoms that Kurt was talking about. Be really careful. Don't you go into that assumption that this is organic, so therefore I can't treat it. 
Obviously, you want a neurologist on board, you want a, a good eval done, so you know what you're dealing with. But so if it's truly organic, we can treat the trauma of having whatever the organic disorder is, but we can't treat the organic disorder. Yes. You know, I worked with a young man um, a few years ago who had survived uh, brain cancer. They were able to get the tumor out. It was encapsulated. And, uh, but it was a very serious, you know, operation. And uh, he left that with not only the trauma of having had brain cancer, but the fear of it returning. And so his anxiety level was very high, as you know. I worked a lot with cancer patients. And, you know, that's the thing. Can I be free of it for five years? That's kind of a rule. And he came after like 10 years later. He was still being ravaged by that anxiety. And he, he kept feeling this thing in the back of his head where the tumor had been. And he believed that that feeling was always a trigger for him that he was getting the tumor back. And so, of course, Michelle, being an EMDR therapist, what do you think I did? Uh, I'm thinking focusing on the fear of that, of that the trauma of having that tumor. Yeah, because the sensation he was feeling was a memory network. Mm -hmm. And when we were able to desensitize that, that took away the fear. And you also mentioned that many times these illnesses themselves, uh, if they are a bipolar or if they are an organic problem or they're ADHD or whatever label it is, we may not cure that the ADHD, but there's so much trauma around that diagnosis and how they are treated by other people that impact their self-esteem, their sense of confidence and empowerment today. And those kind of secondary issues EMDR is very excellent with dealing. Ooh, let's talk about ADHD, though, because that's another one. Uh, for those who are listening who are familiar with Gabor Mate, and if you're not familiar with Gabor Mate, you need to be, um, he says ADHD is actually a type of dissociation. And the reason you have it is because of the trauma history. So wouldn't that be interesting? I have no idea if there's a study about this, Kurt, and I don't know if you know, if uh, uh, if we there's a population of ADHD folks that had EMDR therapy, if their ADHD symptoms stopped. Or, or at least mitigated. Right? Yeah. I don't know if there is that, but that's an excellent research topic for some doctoral student out there. Hint, and, hint, hint. And once you do it, please send us the results because we want to know. Absolutely. Okay. So another um, diagnosis that often gets asked about is borderline. And anytime someone asks me about borderline, I want I immediately go, what causes someone to become borderline? And that is a trauma history. You, you don't People don't wake up one day and become borderline. It's the trauma history that they have that creates those symptoms. So if you've got a borderline, someone who's borderline personality, do EMDR therapy. And remember that uh, when you're dealing with personality disorders, you're, you're probably dealing with someone who experienced trauma very early in life, say in infancy or toddlerhood, and perhaps continuously. They're often a complex PTSD client. And let's talk about trauma for a minute. When we say trauma, um, most of us will automatically go to the thought of uh, someone abusing a child or something like that. But also I want you to re remember that there are other traumas that occur, and it has nothing to do with the parent abusing the child. It could be like what's happening across the country in wartime. 
uh, children growing up in that kind of experience with a horrific, dangerous, violent env uh, environment. Uh, it could be simply the extreme poverty that where the whole family is marginalized and neglected, and the children are a result of that kind of um, impoverished experience. It's not necessarily intentionally harming a child. It's other kind of sociological things that start very early on in birth, and it's impacting the parents also. So the parents' ability to cope may be very poor, and that is also reflected in them dealing with the child. Not necessarily intentional, but it happens anyway. Just want to put that out there. So I had you may remind me of a funny thing that happened last night at a class I was teaching. That I had a student who was concerned. And this is a, a young woman who's probably in her mid twenties, and she was concerned that she was suddenly going to become a narcissist. And I'm like, yeah, you can't become a narcissist at this point. That ship has sailed. If you're a narcissist, you'd already be there. So, right. Yeah, they start early on in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't have a ton of time left, but I want you guys to really think about all the, you know, I'm challenging you now, right? All of those diagnoses that we put down on insurance forms or as we talk to other colleagues, you think about those diagnoses, generalized anxiety, dysthymia, um, major depression, borderline, you name it, right? I'm challenging you. Is it really that or is it trauma? And Kurt, what would you say, how would you help to test that out of what you're dealing with? What would you say about that? Well, you know, in our in the histories that we take, uh, we, you know, and even our own trainings, I'm much more apt as they give me just a generalized history. When they talk about events, I will circle it, I'll mark it, and I'll revisit it later and explore because, as you know, Michelle, many of the people that come in to see us will say that they've never been traumatized. They don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. And uh, it's also, also very educating uh, to give them the ACE scale, you know, the 10 questions and the uh, adverse childhood experience scale. And they check off seven of them. And you say that's extremely high. And they're stunned because they didn't think anything like that was really had the effect of traumatization because... You know, it's not the magnitude of the event that determines trauma, but how that event gets stored in the nervous system. And they often don't understand that. And, you know, a great example of that is people who were um, on the ground, 9-11, yeah. that not, in, I mean, talk about an extreme event, right? I mean, you can't get much more extreme than a, a, an airplane going into a building and the building collapsing. But... According to that, then everyone in the building who survived, everyone who's witnessed it, everyone should have PTSD. But that's not what happened. Right. So we only it's it's determined on our own resilience, our own histories, our own coping mechanisms. So you can't just say this is big. Therefore, you have PTSD. Maybe. Or this is small. You don't have trauma. Eh, not really. Exactly. So. Exactly. All right, folks, we are about out of time, but um, I hope this was helpful and interesting for you today. And we'll visit with you again soon. Yeah. All right. Have a good day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye.